Hi, my name is Joe Altano, and you are listening to Level Playing Field. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so excited. We are going to talk all things VMAs, and we're going to talk about hockey. But before we do that, let me get to know you a little bit. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the town of Eastchester, which is about 30 minutes outside of New York City. Nice little suburb out there. What was your childhood like? Uh, It was fantastic. Um, I have a brother, um, two amazing parents. Uh, Grew up in the suburbs, playing in the front yard and the backyard every day. So I'd say pretty pretty typical childhood in that sense. Were you involved in sports at all as a kid? I was. Uh, I played t-ball when I was really young, probably sixth or seventh grade. Uh, we had two amazing seasons over the course of those two seasons. I, uh, our team won one game, um, so learned a lot about what it's, what it's like to be on a, a tough t-ball team as a kid. <laughs> and uh, then moved over to something that fit me a little bit better, which was cross country in college. And uh, I ran cross country both in high school and in college. So you, you said T-ball when you were six or seven years old? Uh, sixth or seventh grade, somewhere right in around there. Oh, okay. That seems old for T-ball. Uh, are you talking was, like little league? Little league, little league. So I, I actually did play T-ball when I was much, much younger. Uh, so that was probably when I was like five or six. And then, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. And then, um, and then little league when I was in sixth or seventh grade, somewhere around there. You, so you just didn't like baseball then to play or, or what uh, made I, you leave? I think it was going um, 0 for however or 1 for 17 uh, over the two years. Um, it just I loved watching it, especially when I was younger, but uh, did not have the hand-eye coordination, I think, uh, that I might have needed for that. So cross-country offered a, a really good alternative. Yeah, no offense to baseball fans, but baseball's a boring sport to play sometimes, especially when you're a kid. Yes, and I was in the outfield and uh, didn't have as many many opportunities to get involved the same way. So, so how did you find your way in, in cross-country then? So it sort of ran in the, the family. Uh, my, my dad, my grandfather, they all ran in high school and throughout college. So it just sort of was the natural thing to do. Uh, first day of freshman year, I went to Fordham Prep School in uh, in the Bronx, and they have a a run where all the freshmen get an opportunity to do a probably about a three quarter mile run or a mile run around the the campus. And I think I was top ten for that. And I was like, okay, well, let me go out and try it for real. And started on the cross country team that that year, freshman year of high school, and have been running on and off again ever since then. So about 19 years now. What made you like running so much besides the family connection? Uh, I definitely think it was my teammates. Uh, I might immediately connected with a lot of uh, the guys on the team. We were, uh, you know, a real family. It was the first true organized sport that I, I was doing um, and really actually enjoying and uh, succeeding, succeeding at with, with our team. We had a pretty good year freshman year and then just continued on we won multiple city championships uh while i was 
at the school. And uh, it became a, a really good release for me to, uh, to, to take my mind off of school and everything else. And it, it continues to be as well. How was high school for you? Uh, high school was, was really good. I made uh, you know a lot of great friends while I was there. Um, I was really involved in two worlds. One was, was athletics, uh, running with the cross-country team, and then doing track indoors and outdoors. So three seasons of running plus in the summer. And then I also had this world in the theater. Uh, I was involved with the productions at the school, all the technical theater uh, aspects of technical theater. So there were two very different, unique groups um, that I was I was hanging out with. And um, it was at times challenging to get both of them to appreciate the other one. Um, you know, the athletics, the coaches didn't always maybe fully understand how much theater meant to me. And then the theater department didn't understand why I wasn't there every day um, because I was running so it was it was at times challenging to to balance both sides um, and try and express them how important both of those areas were. So in theater, then you weren't talking about like being on stage. You were more lighting, sound, that yep. aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. So I did the lighting for the shows my uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year at the at the prep. Which is funny because it sort of ties into what you do now. Yeah. So I was. Um, I was a theater major in college, so everything I did at the prep, I think, perfectly prepared me for what I was going to continue to do in college. Um, I knew I wanted to go into events. I didn't know exactly what that meant or how I'd get there, but uh, that experience started me on that path, and then while I was at uh, George Washington University, I continued down that and focused primarily on lighting, but also got uh, exposed to all the other areas of the theater and that's definitely what, what helped shape me uh, to, to where I am now. Um, when the VMAs came in, they weren't asking for my advice on how to light the show, but mm-hmm. just being able to talk to the, the production managers and the designers um, and have that background, it made some of the conversations easier because I knew what they would be looking for from the building when they came in. Oh, yeah, I totally get that. Would you get a bigger like? Would you get a bigger high off doing the theater stuff or the running, or was it like equally just uh, enjoyment from doing them? That's a very good question. I think probably a larger high from the running, just because I was spending a lot more time on it than I was in the theater. Um, you know, we were we were practicing every day after school. Would have meets on Saturday, um, plus training over the summer for it so I definitely think I think cross country gave me that that bigger rush because just surely by the amount of time that I was devoting to it I've talked to athletes before in the past and a lot of them talk about how they would do um, individual sports and cross country is one where especially in high school and, and probably college I'm not too sure but it's a team but it's also an individual aspects of it Besides the physical part of running, do you think sexuality played any part in in being involved in cross country? Uh, so I I didn't I started understanding that I was different somewhere in the middle of high school. I would say um, I don't know if it 
you know, subconsciously it may have might have played into being able to immerse myself and succeed as an individual, even if the team didn't succeed. Although at the end of the day, the the goal always was for the team to succeed. um, And that was what was always most important for me. Um, So I don't know if it was necessarily directly linked in in any one way or another. What were your biggest successes in high school with cross country? Uh, There's one meet that to this day, I will never, never forget. It was my sophomore year, and I think it was our, our sectional championships or our city championships. And I was running the two mile, which had become my, my race of choice. And I wasn't expected to do anything. And, you know, I was not seated very high in the race. Um, and the, there were many other favorites and I went out and I just had the absolute, probably the race of my life to the, one of them to this day. And really just, it went nuts. Um, and I think I ended up coming in second or third overall, and I wasn't even expected to place. And the team was just, the team went nuts. Everybody was there watching. They didn't, nobody was expecting it. Um, so, you know, that was, again, that was a long time ago. And I will never forget that race or that feeling, certainly after that. Um, right after that race and then the days afterwards of just, um, you know, that, that was the breakthrough for me um, and certainly was, was a highlight uh, of, of all the races I've run. You would have that in your sophomore year. How was the remainder of your, your high school cross-country career? Um, it, was, it was really good. I was the, the captain um, our senior year, one of the co-captains our senior year. And, you know, we, we grew into a family. Um, you know, and had, had a great time with, with all the, the guys on the team. We were, we were t- usually top five out of 15 or 20 schools. Uh, I honestly can't remember what the, uh, what our highest finish was, but you know, it was, it was being with the group. It was, uh, getting the discipline of running and, and traveling as well. We got to travel to a whole bunch of other schools. We would go up to to uh, Rochester every year in upstate New York for a meet. And, you know, it was, I think the most interesting thing was just to, it was to learn, learn to balance your time. I, we would have maybe two weeks off or so in between cross country and then indoor track. And I remember, I would always remember being amazed how in those two weeks, there was nothing else I was doing. It's not like I was um, going home and studying more or anything else. Like I, it, it wasn't, um, I was not being more productive. So it just, really realized how managing the time is so important and you figure out a way to, to utilize your time to the best of your ability um, based on how much you have. Uh, so that was like interesting learning experience for me. How, how long is a cross country race usually? So we are one of the very, very few that does not run the typical 5k. Most high schools, everybody runs a 5k for us. The freshman year course was one and a half miles and the uh, sophomore through senior year course was two and a half miles, which made it interesting when you were trying to be recruited because all the coaches are normally used to just comparing 5K times across the board. And so explaining what a two and a half mile course was for anybody in the Northeast, I think most of them know Van Cortland Park, which is where the races were. So they understand the historicness of the two and a half miles. Um, but that's, uh, those, are, those are the distances. What's, what's the story behind that place? What makes it special? 
it's it's just been around forever. Um, they do a bunch of really big meets throughout the year. Manhattan College Invitational has, I think it's over 10,000, or at least it did back in the day. Um, and it's it's one of the historic courses throughout the area, and, and people travel to it. Um, it was a point of contention at times in college when we were all being really dorky and trying to uh, <laughs> compete for the coolest home course. Um, and I always claimed it was, uh, and will still to this day, that it was Van Cortlandt. When cross-country season ends, you do track. What events are you doing in track then? So I started out doing the mile and uh, pole vaulting um, for no other reason than the fact that I thought it looked really cool um, (laughs) and something different. So we had a very patient coach who took all the freshmen in, and there'd be 20 kids who'd try and pole vault, and they would put up a – instead of a pole, it would be a rubber – rope essentially so you wouldn't hurt yourself falling on the pole and about I don't know maybe halfway through that indoor season I was unable to clear five six which is typically an opening height for a high jumper without the help of a pole mm-hmm. and uh it was at that point that my coach um gently that I should probably stick to the two mile which was easy for him because it was also at the same time as the pole vaulting typically was so he didn't have to tell me uh I had to quit. He just said, let's let's go try the two miles since your skills are a little bit better there and you can't do both. Is the practice different for cross country and then the track events, the one mile and the two mile? Um, I think they're similar. They're definitely similar. We would do, you know, the distance that we're, we were doing is roughly the same on our long runs um, for outdoors. If we're doing a speed workout, it might be doing three or four by miles at a certain pace. Whereas when you're training for the one or two mile, you might be doing 400 or 800 meter repeats at a, at a faster pace. Um, so I think probably the big difference is really the speed workout and less of the distance workout. So you have your, your athletic career going on in high school. And then I would imagine the theater department probably had what, one or two shows a school year. Yeah, they, I believe it was it was either two or three. Um, there was a musical, which was obviously the big one, and then I believe there were two plays that they would do. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was one or two. Um, and so typically what I would do is I would come in and focus on that the last two to three weeks right before the show, and I would be working on the lighting then. Um, and so that's how I was able to, to balance everything out. So I would... Uh, try I would the time I'd spend at the track would be reduced in those two or so weeks before the show and that's when I would push to get all, all the lighting done and then you're running it each night or is it programmed all in yep so I would run it part? it would it would typically be a Friday and Saturday night so I would run it I remember getting extremely nervous and I would have a hundred charts and pieces of paper and um, everything backed up three different ways so that there was always, uh, you know, everything was always programmed, but, but I always had, had backups to make sure I was taken care of. So you graduate high school then, and you said you went to George Washington? Yes, yep, down in D.C. How, how did you choose that school? So I had, I applied to a bunch of different schools, and at the end of the day for me, it really came down to a feeling that I got when I went to GW. Um, I, there was a professor who was loading in a show when I just walked into the theater 
on a visit and just went up to him and introduced myself and said hi. And, you know, load-in is typically a very busy time. And he took, he took uh, a good hour out of his day to show me around the theater, talk to me about the program. And we, you know, instantly connected. And he's still to this day a mentor to me. Um, and that's really what made the, the difference, uh, for sure. I was, uh, you know, from that moment on set that, that GW is a school I wanted to go to. I was offered a scholarship for theater and for cross country as well. So that definitely helped. Oh, but, nice. um, yeah, but the, the, it, he was the, the first one that I, I really met and was, um, you know, really, a, he played a huge role in why I attended GW. Do you have fond, fond memories of your time at, at GW? I do. I do. Uh, my absolute best friends in the world all came from GW. We're still incredibly close to this day. We do, uh, and many of them are from the cross country team. Um, and then from my freshman year roommates, uh, last May, I actually was the officiant at one of my uh, hallmates from freshman year for her and her uh, now husband. Um, and we are all just still incredibly close. There are four of us that we called the urban fam. Uh, and we were very close when we were at GW. And to this day, we all live in the New York, New Jersey area and do fantasy football. We get to, to do uh, holidays together, drinks throughout the year. And uh, they are my absolute best friends. That's cool. In high school, you obviously, or I'm sorry, not high school, in college, you you came to terms with your own sexuality and you started to deal with that. What was the turning point for you where you finally realized, admitted who you were and started that process of coming out? Yeah, so it was, it was a process. It was a long process over the course of, um, I would say, six, six to eight months or so. Uh, so as I said, I ran cross country and there was a teammate of mine who was he was he was sort of out but nobody really talked about it and it was um just sort of there and so over time became close with him and finally one night um you know he knew I was gay I knew he was gay but just couldn't actually say it um and then finally one night we were out after the end of end of the season and um I forget exactly how it came out, but finally told him, yes, I was interested in guys. Um, I'm sure I said something along those lines as opposed to being able to say I'm gay. Uh, but that's, that's how it came out. And then um, I loved my friends. I was really close, but I was not comfortable telling them yet. So I was sneaking out of, the, uh, of our apartment, um, telling my friends I was going to go study and then would go to the other friend who was out on the team go to his apartment, change into clothes there that were more appropriate to going out to a gay, a gay club in. And what, what does that mean <laughs> more appropriate? Um, probably a little, only slightly, but a little bit cooler than the, the State Farm khakis and pullovers and button downs that I was wearing at the time. Um, I think some of the evidence is that it still is on Facebook somewhere. Um, but change into something that would be a little bit more acceptable than that. And would would go out and just constantly making up excuses for where I was going and who I was going to see. Um, and then would just come back to the apartment somehow um, late at night. So every Thursday night was the 18 plus night at Apex, a club which is now shut down in, in, the Washington, in uh, Washington, D.C. 
And, you know, I would just always remember Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, this huge excitement level. It was the, you know, I didn't have any other gay friends. It was the only time that I would be able to go out and interact openly with other people in the community. And then Friday morning would come around and there would just be this uh, disappointment because I'd have to wait a whole nother week until Thursday night was there since Friday and Saturday, all the, the clubs were 21 plus. Um, so that, that place had a very special place in my heart, as I know it did for a lot of the people who were coming out around my age. Um, and GW is an incredibly supportive community. There were a lot of great um, guys that I met over my, my time there, but it was, it was a challenge the first couple months. And there was, there was a point in time where um, I was frustrated. I was uh, a lot going on and I came home one night and said, after I graduate, you know, I'm going to move and I'm going to find all new friends and go back in the closet and just life's going to be easier that way. And I think it was probably over a, a guy, maybe not talking to me as opposed to anything anybody had said or any, any pushback from friends. But I, I vividly remember that thinking, um, I'm going to start a whole new life once college is over and forget any of this happened, um, and try and date girls. Um, luckily that, lasted probably about 24 hours and realized it wasn't for me, but, um, it's still something I actually really remember quite a bit. So you tell the, the, the teammate, and I imagine there has to be some sense of relief as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. That there's somebody that I can confide in and, and just talk to a little bit more openly about it, about what, what I'm feeling and, um, how, how that's playing out. And from there, it was a slow process telling some of my, my close friends. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting. I, one of my roommates from freshman year was gay and he was out from the moment he walked on campus and it, it didn't make it, it didn't make it easier. I think I, you know, people ask that a question a lot. Well, you had, you had friends who were gay or whatnot. And it, it didn't, it didn't make it easier for me for, for whatever reason. I was still so concerned about myself, I think, and personally coming out that even oh, yeah, it's I, still the great unknown, you know, how yeah. are others going to treat you? Yeah. And so that's, um, that, that is an interesting aspect of it as well. And then I felt as I got, um, uh, decisions on who was going to live together were being made for the following year. And I felt, um, I felt obligated to tell my, my teammates who I was going to room with, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm gay. And uh, just, just so that they knew, I didn't think there'd be any pushback or any concern, but I just wanted them to know before they decided that they were going to live with me for a year. And sure enough, uh, I t told each one of them in their own way. There were uh, three of them and uh, still really close with, with two of those guys, very, very close with them and told them each individually in a different way. And they were all incredibly supportive um, of me and, and, you know, gave me a hug. And we've, again, still best friends to this day. Nice. How would the process continue then? You you tell teammates. How do you start to tell your family and yeah? So and I you're out. Uh, I told my my teammates. Um, I told my my the coaching staff as well. I was still still a little too nervous about telling them, so I actually had to write a letter uh, to to them. Um, and I was living in D.C. over the summer. I wrote it to one of the coaches, and he was there that summer. He read it. Um, at the next practice, 
And, you know, it was like, oh, of course, we still love you. There's always a place on the team for you. He, it turns out um, through friends of his, you know, he, he knew other people that were out. So it was totally fine. Um, one of the other coaches, um, I was a little bit more hesitant about and just a little nervous about telling him. So also wrote him a letter. And I had been working for a an internship. I had been doing an internship that summer that was – um, not the field that I probably planned on going into. And I, for some reason, I think in, in my way of trying to add some levity to the situation, wrote the coming out letter on the letterhead from this company <laughs> and also included bumper stickers and other things. It was my way of trying to, I was a super awkward situation and I was trying to make it less awkward. And that was the route I decided to go. So I wrote wrote them both the letters, included um, these bumper stickers and other things from the company, none of which probably made any sense to anybody. Um, so I sent it to the other coach, and he was not in D.C. that summer. He calls me a couple weeks later. Uh, the Yankees had just gotten a beating from his Red Sox, so he uh, was calling to, to rib me about that a little bit, and I felt like that was okay. That was the moment he was saying it's okay without actually acknowledging it. Uh, we then get back onto campus, and um, first day back, you're with NCAA compliance and boring, well, I shouldn't say boring, educational meetings all day, and uh, and the letter is on his desk with with him and the coaching staff around it. He never got it since he was away over the summer, and I didn't realize oh, that. Wow. So now I'm having a full-blown panic attack because he's going to open this letter in front of everybody, and... You know, he's with the coaching staff, not my teammates, but I'm like constantly looking over. So sure enough, he opens it and he like double takes it. He's like examining it closely, does not understand it and um, rips it and throws it in the garbage. Um, he thought it was a joke. He he didn't understand. And, you know, it, it there was it, it was a very serious letter, but there were the other aspects of it. He thought I was kidding. Um, and yeah. the actual and actually the other teammate who. Um, I had come out to came over and said, that's that letter was real. Um, and he ended up being one of my biggest supporters. And he, to this day, he's like, I really wish I'd kept that letter from you instead of ripping it up. Um, but it was definitely a couple moments of panic there. Um, and then once he was told, you know, he's totally on board. And and if, if I, I, you know, he was one of those guys that would always have my back. And if um, anybody said anything or ever after that. Um, which no one ever did, but if he was a guy I'd want to fight if uh, if I was ever in a situation, and luckily I've never been there. But if if I was, he was he would the guy he'd be the guy that I'd want with my back. That's cool. Overall, you had a great college time. Yeah, um, absolutely. My um, absolutely love my time at GW. I'm still pretty involved with with activities on campus. Um, I mentor um, one of the athletes. On, uh, they, they pair up athletes with uh, people working in different careers. So every semester, I'll try and, or every every year actually, I'll they'll, I'll be paired up with um, a current athlete who has somewhat similar career aspirations, and we'll have conversations throughout the year and just try and connect them and give them guidance on everything from how to manage work life balance in college to what's what they should be doing to best prepare themselves for their post collegiate career. Um, so I've been really fortunate to get to know a whole bunch of really fantastic uh, GW student athletes 
in my time uh, doing that. That's nice. After you graduate, is that do you get a job with the Devils right away, or do you go somewhere in between? So I was, um, I had, had some great professors in college, and one of them was a professor in the sport and event management program, and she connect, she actually connected me with NBC, and um, helped me get an internship with NBC at the Olympics in 2006, and then in 2008, and interned with NBC. Um, abroad in Torino and Beijing and got to experience the Olympics and all these other amazing things. And that's what helped round me out on the sports side. And right after graduation, uh, Sports Business Journal is premier um, industry journal for, for the sports world. And they had a conference in D.C. and they needed volunteers. And so I stuck around for a couple days after graduation did registration and other little things throughout the conference and was at a networking panel and got to meet somebody who had just finished working on uh, Prudential Center. Resume was passed along. Fast forward a couple weeks, my I get a phone call or an email saying they would like to interview me for a position um, in the guest services department. And so while I was waiting to board a plane at Newark Airport to fly to Beijing, I did a phone screen with them, thought it went really well, went to Beijing, talked to my professor, and she said, send them a postcard marked from the night of opening ceremonies, which was 8808. Uh, Chinese, you know, eight's huge for them. And so... Yeah, and let me interrupt you. The Beijing opening ceremonies. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. really changed the game in opening ceremonies. Yeah, uh, and I, I was there. Um, I was at the, the opening ceremonies. It was incredible something I'll never forget, all the drummers, the, the fireworks, everything. Um, so You're yeah. obviously busy working, but you're still able to take it in and you're still able to enjoy the moment? Yeah, it was amazing. So we, uh, I acted as a, a guide and essentially NBC brings over some of their, their partners to give them a thank you trip for going, for being advertisers and supporters and so they are brought over on this hospitality trip, which is incredible. And they, the um, attendees get to go to the games and experience cultural events, all this stuff. And they hire uh, college kids to help run, you know, execute the program over there and, and be the tour guide. So I was one of them. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I saw Michael Phelps win his seventh Olympic gold. Um, sat right behind his mom and sisters, I think it was. Uh, we had ridiculous seats. So you're probably on TV then. Pro quite, quite possibly. Um, yeah, it was, it was incredible, both in, in Torino and Beijing. It was truly um, an amazing experience. I will never forget it and definitely helped me get to where I, I am now. Being able to talk about that type of, those type of experiences and what the challenges I faced while I was there on the interview after that certainly helped get me to where I am. Um, and so I sent the HR department uh, a postcard saying, I'm having an amazing time. I'm learning so much. I'd love to bring all these lessons back to Prudential Center when I return. And sure enough, when I got back, reached out right away, the position was still open. And they hired me a couple of weeks later. And I just celebrated my 11th anniversary with the Devils and Prudential Center. So that was my first job out of college. Wow, that is impressive. It was, uh, I was, you know, a lot of it, and I, I tell this too to 
people are mentor or mentees or just anybody looking for jobs, a lot of it, you know, really just comes down to timing and, and being lucky. And I was super fortunate that I met the person, at, you know, at, at the networking conference, the position was open, they were willing to hold it for me. Um, everything just aligned. And again, I, I knew I wanted to go into events. I didn't know exactly what area and what that meant. But this was the first the perfect entry level position. I was an assistant manager in the guest services department and it uh, was a glorified role uh, compared to what I was doing in college, which was working at the athletic center there, working men's and women's basketball games and volleyball, essentially being an usher and helping with the changeover crew. So went from doing that in college um, and and that started because as athletes, we were required to do service hours to help raise money for the team and started that freshman year, continued that throughout my time at, at GW. And again, it was another great talking point for the resume and, and really was almost exactly what I started doing after college. You know, when you're LGBT, you obviously know this and people listening probably will too, but it's a constant coming out process. You know, absolutely, you're, absolutely. you're not having, you know, big coming out events or anything, but you know, you're working with people side by side. So you're telling, you know, you're telling one person the next night, you may be telling two more because they know your partner or whatever. I'm, I'm going to assume and the, the devil organization, the Prudential Center, obviously had to be accepting for you to be there so long. Tell me about coming out with the devils and, and your time there and then sort of we'll go through your whole career and then jump to this past month when you guys hosted the VMAs. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I sort of, not that I went back into the closet, but I was absolutely not 100% comfortable with myself, even post-college. Um, it, it was, it, you're, it's your first, first job out of college. You're figuring what that life looks like, figuring out living on your own without the, the college pay, um, coordinating housing. Like there's so many changes. So I think for me, it was really easy to just put on the the back burner, um, figuring out my, my identity at work. So, uh, there were a couple of people I worked very closely with and sure enough, over time, um, there was no boyfriend, no girlfriend brought around, no references to anything. I wasn't dating anyone at the time. Um, so one of the, the more nosy coworkers in a good way, um, we were, we were close and finally one day she was like, so do you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend? And, you know, that was her way of saying, I know you can tell me. Um, <laughs> and so I said, you know, well, no boyfriend yet, but maybe soon. And, um, so then it started from there. And I would say really, honestly, for the first, um, you know, two or three years, it was a pretty small, we were a very small organization back then. Um, we've now grown quite a bit. But back then, it was a really small contingent, so there wasn't a large group that that went. But the first two people to really know, uh, actually, about my current boyfriend were two of my coworkers. Um, at the time, uh, we would have a, uh, a guys' night out. I think it was every Tuesday night, and um, after a few drinks with them, I went and on the first date with the the guy that I'm dating now. And so they were, they were the first ones to actually know about this, this other guy that I started dating. Um, so it was, it was a small group that knew, but from the beginning, everybody was absolutely incredibly, incredibly supportive. My, my 
my all of my bosses over the years have have embraced everything about me. Uh, and then three and a half, almost maybe four years ago, give or take, I wrote an out of an article for Outsports. And um, once that was published, it was also included in our daily news clippings that go out to the entire company. So that was a much more public uh, coming out at work. Yes, most people knew, but there were a good chunk that didn't of people in departments that I didn't interact with on a daily basis. Um, and it, again, it was just obviously much more public um, event. And I had no idea what the reaction would be. And I just was inundated with texts, emails from my coworkers, um, from every level. I, I got a phone call from one of the vendors that we use on a regular basis saying, you know, how, how proud he was and supportive. And if any of his staff ever gave me any trouble, which nobody ever had, but he said, you know, I want to be your very first call and they will never work there again. Um, and this was not somebody in a million years I would have ever thought I'd receive a phone call from. That's cool. Um, and, you know, the other thing is the, the Devils fans. I mean, they are absolutely amazing uh, group. And I would walk the concourse um, after that and the, the next couple games and just people that I didn't even know would come up to me and somehow had recognized me from our social posts or whatever and just said, I, I want to you know, say how great your article was. And that, that meant the world to me as well. So um, it's, we, we've come a long way as an organization in size and growth. And uh, to now at points where everybody marched in, in pride in New York this year, we've been regular participants in the Newark uh, pride march for the past two years. Um, and, you know, the support is, is genuine and it's, it's incredible. And I can't imagine uh, working anywhere else or having any more supportive of uh, coworkers than I currently do. Speaking of imagining something, going back to like when you were a high schooler, you maybe you're starting to have feelings that you were different. Could you ever imagine yourself working for a professional sports team, being out and being so accepted? Absolutely not. Um, no, no way I ever, I never imagined I'd be in the role I am now. Um, you know, I never imagined I'd be managing the VMAs um, as an out gay man who's comfortable with, with who he is. Um, never, never would have crossed my mind. Um, and so I see how far I have come personally and professionally in the past years. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of that for me and more recently really started with that Outsports article. And it gave me a lot of confidence to tell my story and to see the, re the reception it received. And, you know, whenever, whenever we're doing events at work for, for the LGBTQ community, you know, I, I tell everybody that whatever it is we're doing, my goal is just for it to be able to impact just one person. If just one person sees the, the guys wearing, uh, were taping their sticks with pride tape or wearing a pride shirt, you know, it, it reinforces to them that maybe it is okay to be gay. Maybe I, I can tell my parents, maybe I can tell my best friend if these heroes of mine who get on the ice and play hockey every night, if they're comfortable supporting it, maybe my family will as well. And so that's where I just feel incredibly lucky to be working for an organization that, that realizes that and helps use our platform to, to push that message of acceptance for everybody. 
when is Devil's Pride Night this year? Do you know? So, off the top of your head? so we are finalizing the dates. Um, we are our calendars are still being confirmed. So um, I'm hoping that very shortly we will be able to announce what uh, what the date is. But you know, we've it's it's evolved so much over the past couple of years. We started with a incredibly awkward reception for about 30 people in a room and we didn't know what to do. And it was a great start. Um, and then last or two years ago, Harrison Brown gave an incredible uh, talk at the pride night. And this past year we had a panel discussion uh, that I moderated uh, with three other local hockey representatives and including a 14 year old transgender goalie from New Jersey who is incredible absolutely amazing uh, his name is Eli and one of the the most well-spoken people I've, I've ever met and just knows who he is and is, is so uh, incredible incredible person to be around um, and this was given in front of a standing room only audience um, close to 200 people uh, with a lot of senior executives from the the, the organization there to, to see it and to hear it so uh, to see where we've come is is incredible, and I know this year's going to be even better than last year. We'll figure out a way to make that happen. In some groups, there's starting to be pushback for Pride Nights. Some people feel that teams take advantage of it. They just are doing it to make money. But from someone who's on the inside, you have to see it as a, something different, right? Absolutely. You know, I can only speak for, for the organization that I work for, mm -hmm. and... Um, my personal goal, and I know our goals in, as an organization, was to we didn't want to just change the pride colors. We didn't want to just throw, um, sell T-shirts on the concourse, change our logo on Twitter, and call it a day and say, you know, best of luck. Uh, we went out there and found not the first year. You know, we 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 struggled just because it was new. It was new for everybody, mm -hmm. um, and it was a learning curve. And I think. A lot of this is, is especially for teams that don't have maybe an advocate within the organization that really knows the best way to, and I'm not saying that I know all the ways to navigate it, but somebody who's really able to find the best ways to, to pair the right people up to get conversations like we've had. Um, it can be challenging, but you know, for us, my goal and our, our goal was to have meaningful and engaging conversations with the community that were really going to foster growth and, and push for acceptance. And so that's what we've done. Um, we highlight multiple groups throughout the game, um, local and, and I mean, super local within Newark, as well as within the tri-state area. New York City Gay Hockey has been an incredible partner of ours over the past couple of years. We ha hosted a tournament for them two years ago. Looking forward to having them back over the next couple of years. And as well as obviously you can play who's just doing so, so many incredible things for the hockey community, as well as other sports to, to get that message out. And then other, other local organizations as well. We had a lot of high school kids who came out um, to, to the event and got to hear from Eli. So it's, that's what it's about for me. And, you know, we, so many people came up to me the night of it, just saying how, how impressed they were with with the quality of the event, specifically that pregame event, um, it's not just an opportunity for us to sell tickets to people who might not come to a game. It's an opportunity for a whole bunch of people to get in a room and hear from really powerful speakers about how sports has positively impacted 
their life as as a member of the LGBTQ community. That's nice. That's that's great to hear. One final thing about Pride Night, then I want to move on to the VMAs. But do you ever get any feedback or hear any feedback from the players about um, the Pride Nights? Yeah, so I think the biggest success story for us was was Curtis Gabriel this year. Um, absolute incredible, incredible guy. He uh, scored a goal on Pride Night. I believe it was a game-winning goal on, on Pride Night. And he kept the... Uh, you're not allowed to have the... Uh, pride tape on the actual blade of your stick because it's distracting. You're, I believe it's only black or white that you're allowed to have on. Mm. So what he did was he put it up on the, the top of the stick and he was, I believe, the only player on our team and one of the very, very, very few players throughout the entire league to actually keep it on their stick throughout the game up at the top. And um, so he scored a goal and the there's some great pictures of him after the goal with the, with his celly where the pride tape is on it. And, um, they went viral within the, the LGBTQ sports community after that. Um, and he got some feedback real quick and, uh, his, he, he has, uh, people that he knows who are members of the LGBTQ community. And when he saw the response that, that him keeping that pride tape on meant, uh, he vowed to keep it on for the rest of his career. Uh, so that just became incredible, incredible story. He, he spoke with Sid at Outsports. He spoke with uh, and did articles with the, the founders of Pride Tape. And it just, it, it took off. And I, I just this past week shared some stories that were uh, shared with me at our, at the New York City Pride about what the impact that he and our Pride Night had on other individuals. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. And so I, I think that they do get um, what the, the power that they have to impact change. And it's not just for the LGBTQ community. Through our Hockey is for Everyone campaign, there's so many different people we, we work with. Um, we also do a ton of work with the grassroots community in Newark and, and all the other the platforms as well. Hockey Fights Cancer raised a ton of money for for people who are fighting cancer. So it's, it's using this power of sports to really impact um, the community we uh, live, work, play, and win in. And that's, that's our goal as an organization. Let's move on to the VMAs. Yes. What, do you, what are you feeling when you hear VMAs are coming to you guys and you're going to manage it? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was a lot. Um, you know, we'd never, as an as an arena hosted something quite that large before we, we, we hosted Super Bowl media day back in 2013, I believe it was when uh, the Super Bowl was over at MetLife stadium. We hosted the Rolling Stones when they did their 50th anniversary tour. And it was a worldwide uh, pay-per-view from the building live from the building, but nothing quite to this scale before. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of, can I do this? You know, can we as a building uh, really pull this all off? And, you know, the answer, of course, is anybody who watched it was yes, and it was incredibly successful. But, um, there, yeah, the initial reaction was this is, this is going to be a lot. Yeah, it, it was an awesome show. I mean, and I imagine it was different for people inside than it was for people on TV. Like I tweeted at you about the augmented reality, virtual reality stuff. What we saw on TV, I think was probably a lot different than what you saw inside. Yeah, it's definitely a different experience. Um, and my uh, 
my boyfriend actually was one of the lucky people who was uh, able to get a, a seat in the arena that night. And it's a different experience. You know, a show like that is all geared for TV so that the millions of people watching on TV have the, the perfect experience. So the AR was a lot. They spent an entire night putting little pieces of tape all over the floor and the stage uh, for the AR cameras. And I, I would say that was the, the big difference was really just the, the AR. And almost, it almost feels like it takes away in some sense because people are unsure what's real and what's not than when you're watching it. And a lot of that stuff is, is real and, and pretty big. But then you have the UFO that was floating over during, I can't remember who's set. Which you're like, okay, that's, that's clear that that's not happening. But this is Lizzo's big booty thing, the bouncing booty. Yeah. That was real though, right? That that was. Um, I actually asked the uh, stagehand foreman if I could uh, swap out with one of the lucky stagehands who had been picked to shake that inflatable booty from behind, um, and uh, and and see if I could hop into the role for a little bit. But I was fortunately told no. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't think I have the skill set to shake it like uh, like they did. Um, but yeah, that was that was re- real. That was really cool. Um, I mean, Lizzo's Lizzo's number I thought was awesome. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, so of course, seeing her perform and open like that was amazing. But I didn't see any of her acceptance speeches, so that when I finally was able to watch the show, maybe a week or so after, uh, probably actually a little over a week after the actual show aired, and that's when I got to see the acceptance speeches, including hers and all of her messaging, which was really cool. And I was like, I wish I'd seen that night of, but some things came up you were busy yeah you know we with sports we talk about teams and stuff but with an event like this it takes a team to to do what you do how many people are you having on your team that that put this together for your portion of it yeah so i have the absolute best team in the world um there are two other event managers and then there are three people on our event services team who typically handle more of the devil's devil's events but for this one, everybody jumped in the first five days. Uh, they they were in the building for two and a half weeks straight. And the first five days of loading, we were going 24-7. So we had a crew that was in from basically 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And then from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. every night. So we were literally going from 24-7 for five and a half days. And none of it would have been possible without the team. Um, I was one very small part of this event. Uh, it was it was a huge, huge team effort. In addition to the the events team, our guest services staff is incredible. We have three three uh, team members there who uh, made sure on the night of the show everything went seamlessly. And then it's uh, you know the ultimate collaborative effort. We had our security department, our booking department, our box office, our IT department catering and concessions um it literally every aspect of building operations we had to remove about four thousand seats from the arena just to be able to fit the stage all the cameras the lights everything in Um, so they were the ones coordinating the the removal and storage of that Um, so without them uh, none of this would have happened you know as you said you watched it a week later then let's say the next day, do you and your boyfriend compare notes what his highlights were and what yours were? Because I imagine they're completely two different lists. Yeah, so I think we both sort of agreed the first first half of the show was a little bit more of uh, 
the what we were interested in with the Taylor Swift, Sean Mendez, and and Camilla's appearance as well as uh, a Lizzo. But yeah, it was a, a different experience. Uh, I think you know, for me, it's you're always you're always sort of waiting for a shoe to drop or a problem to come up. So I'm not really in the moment able to enjoy it. Uh, I for a show like that, I really tried to sit there for a couple minutes and watch it and take some deep breaths and create that mental picture that I'll hopefully be able to keep with me for the rest of my life because it, it was such an incredible event. But he was able to go with his friend and have a couple beers, so I think he probably enjoyed the evening a little <laughs> bit more than I did. Probably. He yours was probably more saying that. So yours was probably more rewarding, though. Yes. Yes. Looking back, I. I I don't know. Let me start over. Looking back, you're a kid. Could you imagine being someone who worked hard in high school and college, did internships, works the Olympics, becomes involved in a professional sports team, works an event with for the VMAs? I don't know if you, VMAs were a big thing for you growing up, but I mean, just looking back at, and you have so much more to do. You already have these some highlight life highlights. Yeah. Uh, no. The the short answer is I never believed it would happen um you know i i i absolutely love live events i've always been fascinated by them whether it was going to see broadway shows as a kid going to yankee games um or just working i worked our graduations in in college as event staff where we'd set up twenty thousand chairs in a huge stage so there's always been this allure but you know i think like in the back of my head, it was always like, wow, it would be cool to work at the Olympics, but then never really thought it was something I would ever achieve. And now looking back, it's like, yeah, this is, this is, these have been some incredible experiences and I'm incredibly fortunate to have been um, in the right place at the right time to, to manage them. But as a kid, I never, never in a million years would have thought that I would be handling the, the operational logistics for the arena, for an arena uh, hosting the VMAs. Yeah, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, um, but I feel we should end up talking about hockey and the Devils. Season yeah. got underway last night with preseason. I think you guys had a split squad. My team, the Canucks, had a split squad game. Um, during the season, do you have a typical night, or is each night different for you? So uh, they're they're somewhat typical. Um, we tip, you know. They're very routine, which is nice, but there's also different aspects of each game that keeps it exciting. So in addition to playing 60 minutes of hockey, we will have anywhere between two to five events before the game for our sales team to try and sell new season tickets uh, for our group sales. You know, they might have booked an event where 100 people are coming out, they bought tickets and they need a space for a meeting room. So uh, our team handles the logistics for all of those events. And then we partner with our game presentation team on our theme nights. Um, we have uh, a bunch of really cool ones last season, 80s night, 90s night. Um, and it really just gives Star Wars night is coming back this year. It gives us the opportunity to engage with fans who maybe aren't the, the biggest hockey fans, but they're going to come out because it's Star Wars night and we're going to have over 100 Star Wars characters there. And it gives them a taste of what hockey is like. And maybe they, you know, in that experience, realize how amazing the sport is and will come back to another couple games. Or even if they just have a great night that night, um, it's, it's, an, it's still an introduction for them. 
so that's the type of stuff our our team is handling um and we have post-game events we bring people onto the ice for photos after the game so we're running around with all those little logistics throughout just making sure everything's running smoothly um so after the summer we've had where it's been pretty busy it's nice to sort of get back into that rhythm of, of devil's hockey seeing all the season ticket members coming back um, and having the players back in the arena, it's, it's a nice, it's, it's like the first day of school. I mean, that's sort of how we, we look yeah. at it. Um, you're, you're back with your friends, everyone's here, and, and we're ready to get a, jo- a job done. Nice. One final question about production. Do the Vegas Knights push you guys to do more? I, I view it as they push everybody to be authentic. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's more or less. You know, if we if we in, in in New Jersey tried to have the devil flying all around the arena with fire and and all this stuff, I don't think it would it would necessarily be authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's I so I was out at my first Golden Knights game in Vegas last year, and I was blown away by the production. They do an incredible job, and that's Vegas. Um, that's Vegas as a whole. So yeah, they have to. It's yeah, who they are, and and they kudos to them they had a perfect story with going to the stanley cup that you know first year it's it's a great way to build a season ticket base if every first year team could do it and follow that business model i'm sure they would but it's authentic vegas you know i walk in there and i feel like yeah i'm in vegas this is really cool if the the islanders were to do it or we were to do that exact same thing and have a 15 person marching band march around the arena, it wouldn't work. And, and quite honestly, we've tried it. Um, we've tried in the past, this goes back probably in seven or eight years, you know, we, we had marching bands and we tried to replicate a, um, replicate a soccer feel because we thought it would be exciting and it, was, it, it failed because it was not authentic. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway was how can we maybe up the elements, but it's got to be authentic to our brand and the devil's brand is, is very storied and traditional. And so I think that was the, the big takeaway from my, my Vegas nights experience. Cool. Let me do my final question for you and then I'll let you go. If you can go back in time and tell your 12 year old self something to help you with your own sexuality, to make it easier for you to come to terms with who you are, accept who you are. What would that one thing be? I think it would be, be more confident in who you are. Um, in every area of your life, whether it's preparing for a test, preparing for a race, preparing for a first date, or preparing to go meet friends, you know, just be be your be your authentic self um, and be confident in that, and that's what's going to get you uh, the furthest along. Thank you, Joe, for coming on. I've had a good time talking with you. It's it's a uh, it's always fun to talk about production. It's something Absolutely. I like as well. And thank you to Laura and Liz who helped set this whole thing up with the Devils. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been uh, fascinating listening to everybody else who's been on and uh, looking forward to many more down the road. So thank you for doing this.